0: I'm Caleb Zachron, assistant editor of the New Books Network. Today I'm speaking with Laurent Richard, who along with Sandrine Rigaud wrote Pegasus, how a spy in your pocket threatens the end of privacy, dignity and democracy. In the book, the two investigative journalists detail how they came to discover the use and abuse of a new technology at the heart of modern surveillance and spying. Laurent, thank you for joining me today on the New Books Network. Hi, thank you for having me. Of course, uh, you know, this uh, was a an extremely terrifying book. So thank you uh, for, for giving me nightmares. Uh, but you know, before jumping into it, I was wondering if you could just tell me a little bit about yourself and your background.
1: Uh, I'm i a French journalist based in Paris. Uh, I'm 46 years old. I'm running an organization that I founded five years ago called Forbidden Stories. And our main mission is to continue the work of assassinated or under threat or jail reporters to make sure that people would get access to uh, the information, the stories people were silenced uh, for. And, and so, I'm I'm an investigative reporter for the past uh, 25 years. Uh, most of my uh, of my work was to to direct some investigative documentaries, mostly for French public TV, but so for other kind of uh, uh, foreign uh, platform or channels, uh, long-form documentaries on complex stories, and I've did um, uh, done a lot of report abroad, in sometimes in countries where freedom of the press were not that uh, uh, that real. So so yeah, I founded Forbidden Stories five years ago with this idea of, of um, that that very simple idea that every time a journalist is killed we should team up to continue his work and make sure we can send a strong signal to enemies of the free press that even if you kill the messenger, you you will never kill the message.
0: Was there any particular event or a series of events that led you to thinking that something like Forbidden Stories uh, should exist?
1: Yeah, that's um, a combination of um, experience in some countries where I was sometimes reporting, for instance, in Azerbaijan, which is a dictatorship where I was investigating some stories about corruption. And for the same kind of stories, the local journalists were jail. So I try. I, I start thinking at that time, how as a journalist coming from a democracy, we can let the others benefit from uh, our press freedom and how by collaborating and by Asking the question that others can no longer ask because they have been jailed for that or because they might be jailed for that, how we can uh, amplify the stories some people wanted to silence. But what happened uh, another thing that happened in in my life really um, changed my perception of what I should do as a journalist and gave me some strength to 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 think about a new step in my in my life uh it's um it's uh, basically it's what happened on january 2015 on on that day two terrorists from al-qaeda of yemen uh al-qaeda in yemen um decided to attack the charlie hebdo newsroom and the charlie hebdo newsroom was uh the 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 neighbor was sharing the same floor than my previous company premier and that day i arrived right after the attack, maybe two minutes after the terrorists escaped the building. And I was amongst the first who were uh, arriving on the scene. And with all the colleagues and friends, we tried to help the people who, who survived and identify the people who were dead. And so th- that event and that, all that violence, uh, this terrorist attack against people who were doing the same kind of job than me, they were reporters or cartoonists, uh, yeah um after that i really start thinking about what i what i can do after that or what i should do as a journalist and what what we should do as a journalist to keep stories alive and this is how i got this idea about i should create an international organization devoted to continuing the work of uh, assassinated reporters and this is how I, i start forbidden stories
0: this book was written by you and your co-author Sandrine, but, uh, could you give the audience a little bit of an impression of how many people worked on this project, uh, and you know, what it actually was that, that led to, uh, the investigation of the NSO group?
1: Yeah. So that's, uh, that's collaborative work. Um uh, more than 80 reporters worked for that project called Pegasus project for your, uh. The goal of this project was to investigate uh, a spyware called um, Pegasus. and Pegasus is the name of the spyware that is sold by a company uh, that is called uh, the NSO Group, based in Israel, a private company selling a spyware to state actors. Uh, officially, this spyware is only sold to state actors to fight against uh, terrorism, to catch criminals, to catch very bad guys. Uh, the beginning of the Pegasus project was when we, at Forbidden Stories and with Amnesty International, the two of uh, the two organizations, we were both granted access to uh, a huge leak, uh, a leak of fifty thousand phone numbers, were. Uh, a uh, phone numbers of persons potentially targeted by this spyware, the spy the, the Pegasus spyware. And so we were at the beginning having fifty thousand phone numbers from all around the world in many countries, from so many citizens, many phone numbers, many international area code. And those persons some of them were targeted, some of them were just person of interest, numbers who were entered into, into the NSO system. And the very first step was to identify uh the numbers, who was behind those numbers, because we were having in our hand know, uh a historical leak, uh a document that can tell you who is paying on who over the wo- all over the world. And and from more than ten states like Saudi Arabia, Azerbaijan, Mexico, uh states who are uh, very were known for very, for having very bad track records in terms of human rights violation.
0: So this is how the project started. And you mentioned that the NSO group is a, uh, is a private company based in Israel. Uh, you know, is Pegasus, uh, the, the, the main product, what exactly is Pegasus? And, you know, what, why did the NSO group decide to produce this, this, uh, spyware?
1: So Pegasus is one of the spyware that is currently uh, used by different states to spy officially on on terrorists, to prevent terrorist attack, to catch the criminals. In reality, we were able to observe a large, uh, a broad misuse of the spyware. We discovered through the list that the spyware were used against journalists, against lawyers, political opponents, dissidents, People who were not terrorists, people who were not criminals. So this company, and so is um is one of the is a leader of the cyber surveillance in the world. is a um, is is a is a startup based in in Israel, uh, which is a country that is for for the past years I've been uh, a, a long time pioneer in this area of cyber surveillance, and uh, and and that company. Uh, the NSO group uh, really was able to produce one of the most sophisticated spyware um, uh, that country have been able to use. This spyware can activate your camera, this spyware can uh, read your encrypted messages, Uh, this spyware can uh, give you so many information about your target. Uh, Basically the you you the spyware is taking entirely the control of your device without you knowing knowing that that's uh, what we call a zero click infection you don't know that you are the victim you are already the victim the spyware is running on your into your device and it's collecting all your information transferring all your personal information videos photos emails password uh, messages to people who are surveilling you so for Basically intelligence units working from state who are the NSO customers. Uh and and that kind of information might used against you at some
0: point one day. Who are some of the, the customers of NSO? Is I, I imagine you were able to find some of that out and sure some of it was also hard to uh hard to pinpoint.
1: Yeah, the the um... NSO is 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 having more than forty customers all around the world, for, so w- which th- they sell to um, the, the Pegasus spyware. So many states, including in the European Union, you have many uh, uh, European countries who are using both the spyware. Um, the thing is more about who you want to, the, the, the who you are able to sell the spyware to when you start. Uh, selling the spyware to countries like Saudi Arabia or Mexico, where you know there is a, there is a very high level of corruption. Saudi Arabia was able to kill some journalists in some consulate, or Azerbaijan who is tracking the dissidents all all around the world. You know from the beginning how how it would hands, and you know that there will be some some misuse of the technology you are spying you are selling to so so yeah so the so during that Pegasus project with 80 reporters we were not only investigating a company but uh more than 10 states and and quite dangerous states states who are who are spending millions to surveil people so including ourselves so we didn't want the only thing we didn't want was to be what was to be the next one on the list uh so we tried as much as we can to stay under the radar and to communicate with a very safe communication channels within the group so we can work as a journalist efficiently
0: if can you describe how you managed to ensure that 80 people didn't get hacked during the investigation because i imagine by just participating in this you were putting targets on yourselves
1: yeah it was quite challenging because some of our partners actually were have been already targeted and we we when we got access to the list we saw immediately that some people we were working with were on that list so so we uh, and we were in the middle of the COVID crisis so it was difficult to call the people and of course you don't want to call someone that is under surveillance because you know that you will be surveilled during your conversation so we found ways to meet person uh, in person uh, physically, so this is how we did that. And then Amnesty International Security Lab was more than a strong partner in that pardon, in, in that uh, collaboration. Uh, was able to invent and create uh, a very sophisticated and secure uh, communication protocol for the 80 reporters that that cannot describe precisely, of course. But it was a way for us to 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 stay under the radar as as much as we as we can and of course it was challenging because we are just journalists we're, so we need to one of the very important step was to reach out to uh, uh, people that we were seeing on the list we were seeing the, their phone numbers so we were reaching out to them telling them that without revealing the nature or the scope of the investigation that we were having reasons to believe that they were surveil and that we needed from them the device to make some forensic analysis. and to convince them to do that was quite tricky uh because it's not that easy to give your device to 80 reporters uh so we di- we 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 did well we get a lot of um, success in making a lot of analysis of of a, lot of a lot of device and we found traces of infection which was really one of the key thing of the project was Unless international security lab with their own expertise was able to find traces of infection to prove what happened and to prove that those people were real victim of uh, uh, that cyber surveillance.
0: You, you've mentioned a couple of countries that uh, were uh, purchasers of the NSO uh, groups, Pegasus Software. Uh, how, how does the NSO group decide... Uh, who to sell it to? Like, did I imagine that the you know the Israeli government probably uh, has some say in who they're allowed to sell to. Was was there any sense of of concern on behalf of the Israeli government about some of the the customers?
1: Yeah, so it's true that
0: um,
1: the Pegasus spyware is considered by the Ministry of Defense as a weapon. So it's a, it's a military weapon, basically used against civilians. So the so the company NSO has to get the green light of the Ministry of Defense of Israel to to make any kind of contract with any kind of state actors. So what is so when when NSO was able to sell the spyware to Saudi Arabia, it was with the of course with the green light of the of the government of Israel. So this raised a lot of question. Uh, we understood that at some point as well uh NSO was used by the government of Israel as as uh, as a tool when Benjamin Netanyahu was doing some visiting some countries and, and visiting all the head of states he was proposing them to sign a contract with the the Israeli company and as a group and to sell them uh so they can use the Israeli spyware. so so yeah this is but there were on the other hand, the NSO always pretend um, to have a kind of ethics committee to um, to see and uh, to make some due diligence about some countries before making a contract. But this is really where NSO is not transparent at all. It's They are not transparent at all about who their customers are. Uh, they are not really transparent about how many what is the due diligence process uh and and if you do some due diligence pro- process how how is it possible to to sign a contract with saudi arabia uh so that's a lot of question that finally we don't have really answers from NSO because NSO didn't really answer to that kind of question even um during the the investigation done by the 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 european parliament uh, during the investigative committee
0: during the uh, the whole investigation uh, what what would you say for you personally was the biggest surprise
1: the the, the, the the very first thing that was very surprising for me and and was very scary was the scale of what of the misuse the scale of uh, of the of the threats against democracies against global democracies many countries at the same time using exactly the same spyware sold by a private company without any kind of accountability transparency lying to citizens uh, targeting them um, and getting from the citizens many information at the same time to make sure that they won't publish their stories if they are journalists make sure that you will identify the sources of a journalist make sure that you can silent uh silence a dissident so this is a perfect tool for tyrants and 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 so this is uh yeah that was for me what was really surprising is is the global pattern behind that and the global impunity as well we're talking about someone who, about something that there is no mechanism to protect you you don't know that you target, even if you know that you can try to sue NSO, but you need to have some lawyers suing them in Israel. You can try to sue a government, but they will deny using NSO. You can try to sue Apple, who was selling you uh, the device that you that was infected, but it's going to be very difficult. So, so there is no re- real mechanism so far to seek justice.
0: What was the, uh, the, the overall result of the investigation? Uh, if you were to sort of summarize the, the, the main findings. Yeah. When we published the, the Pegasus project,
1: this had a, a big impact all over the world. Um, and this made a, the headlines of many newspapers, not only newspapers from our consortium, but outside the consortium. Um, so we were having like the French president asking ministry of defense of israel to come immediately to france to explain to give some reasons about the context and to give explanation the supreme court uh, court of india was launching an investigation at the european level uh, all the european countries both decide to start a a parliamentary committee to investigate those um, abuses in the u.s uh, the minister, this, uh, the Dep- Department of Defense, decide to blacklist the NSO Group uh, and make sure that um, um, a company based in the US will no longer be able to contract with the NSO Group. Apple decided to sue NSO after our publication as well, and to notify any single customers all around the world when Apple is is suspecting. Uh, a state to attack uh, uh, one of their customers so yeah he made a lot of um uh of impact and i think now the company and so as um the ceo uh resign as well so yeah there there are many impacts happen many things happen after the
0: revelation and as of today uh what do you sort of see as the as the you know, the future of the NSO group and just the future of surveillance companies, cyber surveillance companies in general.
1: The question is not about really NSO Pegasus in that story, because you have one NSO that you know, but you have all 10 other NSO that you really don't know the name yet, but they are still in the place. Uh, They are already selling their spyware and NSO was the most well known, but they are this is a very. Um, this industry is very resilient, uh, and this is a very lucrative business. Business as well. You have tyrants, dictatorship ready to pay millions, and to give you millions because you, you can sell them spyware, a way for them to get information. So, so we have to be concerned uh, with a few about the future because so far there is no regulation no legislation nothing to protect us there is a lot on the other end you have a lot of uh, countries ready to pay millions uh, to buy that kind of spyware so this is uh this is where we are so this is why we should uh, all be concerned and ask all even our politicians to build some regulation to protect all of us or to make sure that they can be at least a little bit more transparent uh, with uh, who is using the Pegasus? If you use Pegasus, who is controlling the way you are using Pegasus? Uh, and uh, and and if you sell Pegasus as a spy as a because you are a spyware company, or cyber surveillance company, you should be questioned about for to which what kind of country you are selling to.
0: And as far as as the, uh, as you know, Israel is concerned, you mentioned that you know. Israel's industry of cyber surveillance is very advanced compared to, to other countries. Uh, You know, and you mentioned that the defense minister went in to give an explanation to, to Macron. Um, You know, what, what's they been their sort of response and reaction to this? Have they just tried to downplay it or they, they made the case that, you know, these sorts of technologies are, are necessary uh, for security. Yeah. I
1: think I think, of course, those kind of technology could be necessary for to prevent terrorist attack, or, and and we should not be naive. The French government, even even if they don't didn't buy an S O Pegasus, so they have their own Pegasus themselves. So, so, so I think, I think that in Israel, they are really the champion of cyber surveillance because they they are they they. It was for them a priority at, at some point from, from the past seven or eight years to become the leader in that. Uh, they are able to to look at some 12, 13 years old boy or girls and to see from uh, who is the best in hacking, in coding, in programming, and to to make sure that they can have uh, a lot of people joining the military, cyber military units later on and then those people we get a lot of money by working for company like Anna. so so in israel they did react uh with without transparency we don't know exactly what was the decision uh i think that they understand that there was a kind of uh it was a damaging for the reputation of israel as well that kind of of scandal when you have one private actor able to, to do that kind of uh contract with that kind of countries without preventing those misuse but uh yes we don't know much more about how israel precisely react after that
0: uh and and what is the the future for forbidden stories um you know other projects i'm sure you 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 can't speak about uh current investigations necessarily but you know the general future for forbidden stories
1: yeah i think it's our main mission is to continue the work of assassinated and the threat and jail reporters and so we have a lot to do. Because many journalists um get killed every year. Uh our future is there because there is a need for that. Our, our way to think is to 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 think uh um as well the, the killer of the journalist they don't care too much about the statement. They care much more about having their own crimes exposed in the newspapers uh, all over the world. So this is how we try to disrupt their businesses, uh, by publishing the stories they wanted to silence. And in that case, collaboration makes sense, because it doesn't make sense to kill reporters if you know that 50 others are ready to carry on this work. So this is what we are doing, and I really think if, since your question is about the future, I really think that the future is collaboration between journalists regarding journalism. Collaborative journalism is really uh, the future of journalism because you have it. It brings protection, it brings resources, it brings more impact and more information because you have uh, eighty journalists who are fact- that that are fact-checking any single word, any single sentence, and any single quotes in your article, in your piece at the end. So th- this is my why I think we should all believe in, in that kind of collaboration.
0: Yeah. The, the book is definitely a, a testament to that. And you know, the fact that, that 80 people worked on this project is, is pretty remarkable. Um, you yeah. know, it's, yeah, it's, it's truly like a, a, a feat, uh, that you have managed to accomplish that. Uh, well, Lauren, thank you so much for, for being a guest in the new book. Thank you. Great, great to talk with you. Uh, let, you know, just to, to end it off, you know, if, if any uh listeners are interested in following up on the work that you are doing uh you know if there's a place that they can uh can find what you're doing whether it's forbidden stories website or, or somewhere else where, where, might, where might they go
1: yeah on forbidden org, you can you can uh follow us yeah wonderful thank you thank you <laughs>
0: boop <laughs>